Leviticus 23, we'll begin at verse 23 and just read about three verses here. So let's read it together, shall we? Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. In the year 1752, British subjects went to bed on the evening of September 2nd and woke up the next morning on September 14th. On that day, the British government officially switched from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. And in order to account for the differences between the calendars, 11 days had to be added. The history of our modern calendar is a rather interesting one. I don't have time to, to spend talking a lot about it, but in 1582, Pope Gregory XIII adjusted the Julian calendar to what we have now as our modern system of counting years. Well, the Jews of ancient Israel had a different view of the calendar. Their calendar was based on the phases of the moon. And in the Bible, God instituted seven feasts that were to be observed by his people. When God gave his people these different festivals to observe, they were given to coincide with their lunar calendar. These festivals tied the history of the nation to the rhythm of the seasons. These festivals or feasts were commemorative, they were instructive, and they were prophetic. The feasts of Israel served two primary purposes. First, there was a practical purpose that served to connect the people of God to each other, both socially and commercially. Each year when the time came for one of these holy convocations, it brought the 12 tribes together for a time of worship and fellowship. They might be scattered all across the landscape during the rest of the year, but at festival time, they came together to celebrate their unity. These feasts were, were like giant family reunions, reminding them that they were united as the people of God. At the same time, most of these festivals were geared to the agricultural life of the land, especially the harvesting of the crops. This was especially true of the feasts of first fruits, Pentecost, and tabernacles. At these festivals, praise to God was united with the work of the people. Well, not only did the feasts serve a practical purpose, they also served a prophetic purpose. Each one of these feasts provided a pictorial and tangible illustration of something that was yet to come in future time. When you spend time studying the prophetic significance of the feast, you discover that the feasts not only help you understand what God has done in the past, but all of them also point to something of what God is going to do in the future. Now, some of these feasts have already found their prophetic fulfillment. Passover, for example, was not only a time of remembrance of the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage, but it was also a prophetic picture of the crucifixion of Jesus as the Passover lamb, the final sacrifice for deliverance from sin's bondage. 
The Feast of Unleavened Bread was not only a reminder of the time when leaven would be purged from the house of God's people, but it's also a pictorial and prophetic uh, illustration of the holy life to which people are called as they walk with Jesus. The Feast of First Fruits not only commemorates the third day after the Feast of Unleavened Bread and a reminder that the best belongs to the Lord, but it is also a prophetic picture of the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of the future resurrection of those who are his followers. The Feast of Pentecost, occurring seven weeks after Passover Sabbath on the first day of the week, not only points to the establishment of God's covenant with his people at Sinai and the remembrance of God's provision in that harvest, but it is also a prophetic picture of the new covenant sealed with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the calling of all nations, both Jew and Gentile, to be the people of God. Well, each of those spring festivals has already found their prophetic fulfillment in Jesus and the church. But when you get to the festivals that occur in the fall, you discover that while these feasts also have a prophetic significance, they point to something that has not yet been fulfilled. They point to something that is yet to happen in the future. Now, where we sit in our time frame of the year, we have already passed through the season for the fall feasts of Israel. But I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken to my heart to talk to you about these fall feasts because there is a message and a revelation he wants to give to you as you grow in your walk as a follower of Jesus. According to the command of the Lord, the first in the series of fall festivals known as Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets was to be observed on the first day of the seventh month, which was known as Tishrei. Tishrei 1 is Rosh Hashanah, and it is also New Year's Day in Israel. Actually, I don't know if you know this or not, there are two New Years in Judaism. The month of Nisan and the, fest, the feast of Passover are designated, designated as the religious new year of Israel. But Tishrei and Rosh Hashanah begins the civil year. Rosh Hashanah literally means head of the year. And the rabbis believed that the Lord created the world in the first week of the month Tishrei. They believed that Adam and Eve were created during this time. Therefore, the first day of the seventh month is considered the beginning of creation and the beginning of the year and the birthday of humanity. Tishrei, being the seventh month of the year, is a sabbatical month. What the seventh day is to the week, Tishrei, the seventh month, is to the year. Thus, the first day of Tishrei is celebrated as a Sabbath, regardless of what day of the week on which it falls. It's a day of rest and a memorial by blowing of trumpets with a holy convocation. The beginning of Rosh Hashanah was announced by the blowing of the trumpet, the ancient shofar. It is from the blowing of this ram's horn that we get the title Feast of Trumpets. It is also from the significance of the sounding of the shofar that we begin to see the prophetic importance of this particular feast for today. 
The shofar is a reminder of the sacrifice that was substituted for Isaac in the book of Genesis chapter 22. That ram caught in the thicket and offered in the place of Isaac is a type and a prophetic image of the Lord Jesus who was offered on the cross of Calvary in your place. And every time the shofar would sound, it would remind the people of God that a substitute had been found, a replacement sacrifice had been offered. At the Feast of Trumpets, the sound of the shofar was a clarion call. It was a call to remember certain things about their relationship with the Lord. It was also a call to action, stirring their soul and prompting them to respond to the word of God. It is those calls of the shofar at the Feast of Trumpets that begin to speak to where believers live today and make this celebration more than an ancient holy day in the nation of Israel. Now, you see, most of us are not Jews. As Christian believers, we aren't trying to come back under the requirements and the traditions of Israel. And it makes me just a little uncomfortable when people want to try to bring us back and say, oh, you've got to observe all of these things. The Bible specifically talks about not doing that, all right? However, these traditions have much to teach us, and they can inform our faith with a richness and an added dimension of revelation to what God is trying to say to his people. Now, that's my introduction. Thank you for just sitting patiently and listening to all of that, As we look at this festival observance, I want you to first of all see that the sound of the shofar at the Feast of Trumpets speaks of a call to repentance. The Feast of Trumpets is the beginning of what are called the 10 days of awe. It's a time for the people of God to examine their lives, to repent of their sin, and to recommit themselves to following the ways of the Lord. When you look into the Word of God, you find that one of the threads that is woven throughout the pages of the book is the message of repentance. It is this message of repentance that the prophet proclaims in Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, when he said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This was the message of Ezekiel 33 and 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? This was the message of John the baptizer when he came as a voice crying in the desert. His message in Matthew 3 verse 2 was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the message of Jesus himself in Luke 13 and 3. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This was the message of the early church. And we hear the apostle Peter as he preaches on the day of Pentecost and says in Acts 2, 38, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This was the message of the apostle Paul in Acts 17 and 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should 
repent. When the sound of the shofar is heard, the first thing it speaks is a call to repentance. The call of the shofar is a call to those dead in trespasses and sin to arise. It's a call to wake up from sin to regeneration through repentance. It's a call to pay attention to where you are spiritually. It's what the apostle Paul was talking about when he quotes the prophet Isaiah and says in Ephesians 5, 14, for this reason, it says, awake sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. See, when the trumpet sounds, it's the voice of the Lord calling to wake up. Pay attention. Don't allow yourself to just drift along with the tide. Don't let yourself get tangled up in the affairs of this world. Don't get lulled into a sense of comfort where you lose your zeal and you lose your passion for the things of God. Stop being casual about your walk with Jesus. Stop drifting along with the tide of the culture. Wake up. Pay attention to the condition of your soul. See, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that because you aren't doing anything really bad, then everything's all right. But I hear the sound of the Lord issuing a wake-up call today. Shake off the lethargy. Shake off the complacency. Heed the warning of Amos 6 and 1 when he said, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. The trumpet call to repentance is a call to wake up. It's also a call to listen up. When the Israelites were gathered at the base of Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, the sound of the shofar was heard from the top of that mountain. Then the word of the Lord came to the people as God spoke his commandments to them. And the call of the shofar in repentance is a call to hear the word of the Lord and then to evaluate yourself in light of that word. I've discovered too often people want to measure themselves by everybody else around them. And if you do that, you can always find somebody worse than you are. Come on, somebody. But your measuring rod isn't your neighbor. Your measuring rod isn't your family member. Your measuring rod isn't your Bible study teacher. Your measuring rod isn't your pastor. The standard of measurement is the Lord himself and the revelation of him in his holy word. And the truth is, it doesn't really matter what your neighbor or your family member or even your pastor thinks. It doesn't really matter what kind of evaluation you would get from your church as to whether or not you kept the code of conduct. It doesn't really matter what kind of report card you would get from the society in which you live. When you get right down to the bottom of the well, the only thing that matters is how you line up and how you measure up in obedience to the word of the Lord. So the sound of the trumpet is a call to repentance. It's a call to wake up. It's a call to listen up. And it's also a call to straighten up. Straighten up. (laughs) That's what it's talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. That's what it means when the Lord speaks to his people in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Watch this. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. 
That's what it's talking about when Samuel says to King Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what James 1, is talking about when he writes, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Don't just wake up, don't just listen up, but also straighten up. Repent, turn around, go in the opposite direction. You're turned away from God, turn toward him. When you see the way God wants you to live, don't hesitate. Be obedient to the word. Straighten up. Not only does the sound of the trumpet issue a call to repentance, but it also speaks of a covenant relationship. Every time the people of Israel heard the sound of the shofar, they were reminded of the ram caught in the thicket, sparing Isaac from the sacrificial knife. They were reminded in that story that God had made a covenant with Abraham and he would find a way to preserve the covenant. See, God had promised Abraham an inheritance of land. He promised him descendants as numerous as the stars in the heaven and as the grains of the sand on the seashore. He promised him blessing that would multiply to his life and to the lives of his descendants. And they would even extend to those who would speak blessing over his life. There on that mountain, with Isaac bound on the altar, God showed himself to be not just a covenant-making God, but a covenant-keeping God as well. See, there on that mountain, God revealed himself as Jehovah Yireh, the Lord who provides, the Lord who sees to all the details that the covenant is intact. He ensures that the covenant is not going to be violated. And what I want you to understand today is that the picture of the ram being substituted for Isaac and the sound of the shofar that calls that scene to remembrance is a prophetic picture that looks forward in time to another sacrifice that would be substituted for the people of this world. It's a prophetic picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, dying for the sin of the world. It's a prophetic picture of Almighty God saying, I'm not willing for any to perish. I want all to come to repentance. It's a prophetic picture of God doing everything possible to see to it that you do not perish, but you have eternal life. It's a prophetic picture of God making a covenant with all who are the descendants of Abraham. Not because Abraham is your biological father, but because you have the same faith that he had, and that makes you his spiritual heirs. This kind of faith that he's talking about is the faith that continues to believe when it doesn't look like there's any hope. It continues to believe when it doesn't look like there's any way. It continues to believe when it doesn't look like there's any possibility. It continues to believe. This faith believes that God can put it back together. God can make a way when there doesn't seem to be any way. God can make streams in the middle of the desert. God can make a highway in the wilderness. God can turn your situation around. God can give you a breakthrough. God can and God will do what he promised to do. Every promise is yes and amen with him. Not one one word he has spoken will fall to the ground, even when it is impossible with man. With God, nothing is impossible. Even if it means he has to raise someone from the dead, God is faithful to keep his covenant. 
The sound of the shofar is a reminder that you have a covenant relationship with the Almighty because of the new covenant that was accomplished by the death of Jesus on the cross. Now, I know there are those who think the covenant has somehow been abandoned because, you know, after all, it's a new day, it's a new season. That's because you forgot Lamentation 3, verses 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I know that there are those who think that the Lord has forgotten about the covenant. That's because you forgot Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget but I will not forget you. Watch this. Behold, I have inscribed, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. I know there are those who think they've messed up too badly for the Lord to keep his covenant. That's because you forgot Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. (laughs) I came to this pulpit today to remind somebody of the covenant relationship you have with the Almighty. Let the sound of the shofar remind you of who you are in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession that you may show forth the, the, the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not even a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let the sound of the shofar remind you of the promise of 2 Corinthians 9 and eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deal. I'm about to bless myself right now. Let the sound of the shofar remind you of the promise in 1 John 3 and 2. Beloved, now you are the children of God and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Let the sound of the shofar remind you of the promise in Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your word. Let the feast of trumpets and the sounding of the shofar remind you of the covenant relationship you have with the Father. Praise God. Praise God. The sound of the trumpet speaks of a call to repentance. It speaks of a covenant relationship. Then it also speaks of confusion of the resistance. The rabbis taught that on the occasion of the new year at the Feast of Trumpets, when the people were reflecting on and repenting of their sins, that was a day when Satan, the accuser of the people of God, would be especially active 
in bringing up before the Lord all their shortcomings and sins. The shofar was blown in order to bring confusion and to strike fear in the heart of the enemy. And I just want to remind you today that anytime you determine to step out into a new venture of God, there is always going to be spiritual opposition. How many, how many of you know there is a spiritual adversary? Jesus described him like this in John 10, 10. He said he's the thief. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. See, this adversary is out for your demise. He will steal your joy and your peace. He'll steal your resources and your relationships. He'll kill your dreams and your hopes. He'll kill your marriage. He'll destroy your purpose and your will to live. He'll destroy your destiny. Anytime you determine to live for the Lord, there's going to be spiritual opposition. Anytime you embrace the word of the Lord for a new season of his grace and power to flow in your life, there's going to be spiritual opposition. Anytime you make up your mind that you're going to abandon the old ways and you're going to walk in the new paths of the Spirit of God, there's going to be spiritual opposition. Now, the Bible says that the devil, our adversary, goes about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. At the same time, the sound of the shofar ought to remind you that the Bible talks about another lion. That's the lion from the tribe of Judah. And the Bible says this lion has prevailed. Because he has prevailed, the final word over your life is not guilt, it's grace. It's not condemnation, it's forgiveness. It's not despair, it's hope. It's not defeat, it's victory. It's not sadness, it's joy. It's not brokenness, it's wholeness. It's not death, it's life. See, see, the, the thief may come to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus continued and said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I'm telling you today that Romans 8:31 is still true. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? I'm not sure you really believe that. I said, if God is for us, who is against us? Isaiah 54:17 is still true. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is, the her this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. The sound of the shofar at the Feast of Trumpets speaks of a call to repentance, a covenant relationship, the confusion of the resistance. Finally, I want you to see that it speaks of the coronation of a ruler. One of the ways Israel announced the anointing of a new king was with the blowing 
of the shofar. Now, on the front part of this message, I told you that the Feast of Trumpets is one of three feasts that have not yet had their fulfillment. Now, I'm fully aware that the Bible plainly tells us that no one can know the day or the hour of the return of Jesus. Uh, I, I had an email, uh, it's been a couple weeks ago now, of somebody telling me that Jesus was coming back in the year 2025 on, I think it was May the something, I've, I've forgotten the date now, it was, but it was in May on 2025. And I, I was just like, okay, I don't even need to read anything this guy's got to say, you know. I'm fully aware we can't know. At the same time, I also know that the Bible tells us signs that will occur before the return of the Lord and also seasons in which there is a heightened expectation of his coming. Now, the Feast of Trumpets is one of those seasons. Follow me. Passover pointed to the cross. First fruits pointed to the resurrection. Pentecost pointed to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the establishment of the church. Following Pentecost, the la- which is the last of the spring feasts, there was a period of time between the seasons from the end of that until the first of the fall feasts, which is the Feast of Trumpets. That period of time was, a, 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 was an extra season in there. This is the season in which we are living today. Pentecost has been fulfilled. We are waiting for the fulfillment of trumpets. So we are in that in-between time of seasons. It's the present church age, if you will. We're waiting for the prophetic fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. Feast of Trumpets is the next great event on God's prophetic calendar. Trumpets points to an event that is yet to be fulfilled, and that is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coronation as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I have to tell you, every year, When it gets close to the time for the Feast of Trumpets, I get just a little excited, wondering if this will be the year that will signal the final fulfillment of trumpets and Jesus will return. You know, it's interesting to me that that in the the old law, in the old covenant, trying to determine when trumpets would actually begin. It began on the new moon, Tishri 1. And so they had, actually had somebody that would be looking to see when they could see the first little sliver of the moon to know that it was time for Tishri 1 to begin. Well, sometimes it was overcast and they couldn't see anything. And so what they did is they actually called Feast of Trumpets for Tishri 1 and 2. Said, we, we don't want to miss it. We want to make sure we get it. So I still don't know what day. Is it going to come Tishri 1 or Tishri 2? Is it, which day is it going to I don't know, but I really believe that trumpets will be the time of the return of the Lord. Now, you can believe what you want to believe, and I'm not trying to preach that as law and gospel, but that's, that's a personal 
personal belief because God is a God who always matches up those things and he, he, he establishes those things and he points to it. He gives us, gives us markers all along the way. And just like he gave us a marker and Jesus was crucified at Passover and just as we gave a marker and Jesus was resurrected at first fruits and just as he gave a marker that the church was established and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, I believe he's given us a marker that Jesus is returning at trumpets. I just believe that. Now, you can believe what you want to believe. But I got to tell you, every time trumpets rolls around, I get just a little excited. See, it, not only does it match the Old Testament prophetic word, but I get a little excited wondering if this will be the year of the fulfillment of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. When? At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. I, I always wonder if this will be the year of the fulfillment of 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, what? And with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. I always wonder if this might be the year of the fulfillment of Revelation 11 and 15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven. What did he sound? He sounded the trumpet. There were loud voices saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. This is the event toward which all of history is moving. Jesus is coming again. This is the hope of those who are followers of Jesus. The trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will be raised. The church will rise. Jesus is coming again. So don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Keep holding on. Keep moving forward. Keep pressing on. Jesus is coming again. Ah, I can almost hear the archangel warming up in the wings, waiting for the signal from the master conductor to step out on the center stage and sound the call for the consummation of all things. You make no mistake about it. The politicians don't rule this world, even though they may think they do. The economists don't rule this world. The terrorists don't rule this world. The virus that has infected people in every country on the planet, the planet doesn't rule this world. Oh no, this is my father's world. He is sovereign over all the universe. And I came to sound the trumpet today. I came to sound it as a call to repentance, a call to wake up, to listen up, to straighten up. I came to sound it as a reminder of a covenant relationship came to sound it as a means of confusing the resistance. And I came to sound it as a proclamation for the coronation of a ruler. You know, years ago in old church, we used to sing a song that said, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. The trumpet sounds, I'll be there. So before we conclude this service today, I want to ask you, if today were the day when the trumpet were sounded, are you ready? See, when the trumpet sounds, it's too late to pray. 
What does he say? In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, faster than a blink of an eye. When the trumpet sounds, it's too late to get ready to meet Jesus. So if the trumpet were to sound today, I just want to know, are you ready? If there is anything you would have to do to be ready to meet Jesus, today is the day to do it. If there's any repenting you need to do, today's the day to repent. If there's any forgiving you need to do, today's the day to forgive. If there's any word you need to obey, today's the day to obey. I urge you, I, I, I plead with you, I beg with you, don't be left behind when the trumpet sounds. This life is just momentary. The proverbial flash in the pan. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like smoke that quickly dissipates. The Bible says it's like the grass of the field that rises up and then it's gone. But eternity, oh, don't miss eternity. Don't miss eternity. Don't miss eternity. Bow with me, please. Right now, with our heads bowed, I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands. I'm not going to ask for anybody to stand. Or I just want to tell you, in your heart, this is where it all takes place, right, right there, in your own heart, in your own mind. This idea of repenting, this idea of forgiving, this idea of obedience, it all takes place right here in your own mind and your own heart. It's a decision. I'm going to stop walking away from God and I'm going to walk toward him. Somebody needs to make that choice today. And then you just look to the Lord in prayer and say, I'm coming to you, Lord. Forgive me. Help me. Transform my life from the inside out. I surrender to you. And I'm deciding right now that I'm going to follow you. Help me. I can't do this by myself. I'm going to need your help. But I surrender to you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for helping me. Amen.